0: Welcome to Circuitous Conversations with Bill and Dan, episode 86 for Monday, May 21st, 2012. I am Bill Watman.
1: I'm Dan Gottesman.
0: And it's pretty rainy here in New York City.
1: Yeah, well, compared to how amazingly not rainy it was yesterday. It
0: was pretty gorgeous this weekend. Yesterday was really yeah, this whole weekend. It was a good, good damn weekend. Uh do you find that when the pressure is low when it's like dark and rainy out that you just can't get motivated and you just kind of feel slow and lethargic? Uh
1: yeah. I mean what you've just described has definitely you know come across my brain a few times. I wouldn't say it's like uh, every single time but I, I can see what you are yeah, I've been there. I know what you're talking about. Apparently some people
0: claim that it actually has to do with the fact that when it's lower pressure out uh-huh. It actually takes more energy to move.
1: Like you're underwater.
0: Yeah, but you'd think that it would be higher pressure that would do that, but somehow there's like a there's a buoyancy to higher pressure, so it kind of like lifts you up a little bit. Hmm. So when it's nicer out, it actually help,
1: It makes it easier for you to move around and, and lighten your mood. Like the people in Denver, Colorado who go hiking all the time. Yes. They're more motivated because it's lower pressure. Yes. Interesting.
0: Uh, I don't know. That's that's the theory. Okay. Um, it is uh, episode eighty six, and and we're going to keep it shorter than the last time. But nineteen eighty six. Oh yeah, nineteen eighty six. Uh, some people claim that you know the term eighty to eighty six something off a menu.
1: Yeah, you kill something,
0: right? Yeah. Uh, some people claim uh-huh. that it's because of a uh, speakeasy in New York called Chumley's, which was around until very a couple of years ago, uh, and then they had it's it's on eighty six. Barrow Street I think mm-hmm. and uh, and but there was like multiple entrances right mm. and so when th- the cops were coming in one door and they told everyone to go out the other door they said 86 everybody ah. to, go was to go out the queue to go out the other door so it's sort of like it's you know 86 that light you know the sure. special of the day got 86 and apparently has to means to get rid of something. That's the old story. Chumley's was a very cool place to go, by the way. If anyone ever comes to New York and it opens back up, apparently they had. It's been a speakeasy forever. Mm. Um, and they they do you ever go there? Mm-mm. Oh, uh, it's in the West Village. And what's cool about it is that usually there was there's no sign anywhere. There's Mm, just one of those. It's just 86, whatever. And you walk in the door and you go down the stairs and you go around the corner and you're in this in this old bar that apparently was a speakeasy. And in the wintertime, it's like, you know, the usual English burger kind of thing on an English muffin, kind of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they had um, they had like a fire going all the time and and all these books covers on the wall of all the books of the guys who, you know, Steinbeck and all these other guys who used to hang out there. Hmm. Anyway, apparently they had a problem where like part of the chimney collapsed or something. And so they had to abandon the building about That's five right. years ago. And I think they're going to rebuild it anyway. Chumley's 86. So 86 was the challenger accident. Yeah. I was in sixth grade. Uh, yes. And I was this in fifth grade, Roberts. which makes sense. Yep. And you were watching it or no?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, we, well, like I said, we, um, we had, you know, there were three sixth grade classes and we all collected into one of the classrooms. And then they wheeled in one of those giant, av carts you know with a tv strapped to the top shelf um and i guess the school had some sort of internal closed circuit cable system so that you know they could tune it or maybe you know we probably just tuned it in you know it was probably being broadcast live on tv yeah um and yeah and we watched it you know in in class and it was more I mean, it was in the morning and it was weird you know because so i, heard- I think that was the, that was a big deal because the school teacher you know christy McAuliffe. Was on it, you know, so that I think that's one of the reasons why they, you know, they made a particular big deal about it. Because, you know, it's not like they weren't, I mean, they were, they were still averaging, what, one or two space shuttle missions a year at yeah. least, right? So yeah. it's not like, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal.
0: Yeah, it was still, it was still pretty early in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was also, um, uh, see, for me in Connecticut, I remember it being a snow day. Mm. Do you remember the weather being bad? I remember it being sunny. See, I remember it being a snow day, but maybe what, I'm on crack because I remember what, seeing when, it, it was at in home. January, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, remember. that could be a snow day, right?
1: It's true. It's true. Uh,
0: also, the year that Pixar opened. What do you mean opened? Well, apparently they the studios was formed.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, I always thought it sort of evolved naturally. Nope. Uh, I guess, I and uh,
0: and Soviet Union uh, launched Mir. Hmm. All kinds of cool things happened in 1986. Yeah. Um, it's a uh, man. Did you know that the not to get all grim here, but I'm just reading here that the U.S. Navy found largely intact the crew compartment of the Challenger and all the bodies of all seven astronauts were still inside. Really? Yeah, apparently.
1: Huh. Creepy. Yeah.
0: Imagine that. I didn't know
1: that. I didn't know that. That's How's rough that right there.
0: No, the the crew compartment came back down and they were all alive. And in fact, some of the oxygen tanks had been activated. So the people sort of went into emergency mode, huh? Yeah. Uh, also, so they died from impact. Then how did they? What was? The yeah, they died of- from impact. Oh, jeez. Um, also, uh, Chernobyl was 1986. Good year. Oh man, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Indeed.
0: It's uh Yeah, it's very, very, very strange.
1: Hmm.
0: Uh, anything else happened to you in sixth grade?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Can't think of it. I think I got braces. Do you get braces then? Really? <laughs> I think so. Wow. Yeah. Hey, did you, you know, braces, did you hate having
1: braces? I think so. That sounds, yeah. I don't recall them being particularly pleasant.
0: Again, yeah, I don't think anybody liked them, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah it's very, very strange. Uh, anyway, so 1986, weird year. Hey, yeah. uh, you had a busy day this weekend. <laughs>
1: Yeah, i did it was a busy uh it was a busy day yesterday can you I'm tell still...
0: us anything about that
1: sure um so let's see i'll start from the beginning um well uh, i think i might have been mentioning on the uh on the podcast here bits and pieces about um some of the freelance work that i do uh i, I know a lot of folks know that um I, in addition to, you know, taking pictures, which really isn't my main thing, I certainly don't make very much, of any, money taking, you know, as a photographer. Most of the money, you know, most of my income comes uh, from working as a tech, a digital tech, which is, is sort of like a, is a kind of photographer's assistant who uh, is, you know, um, in charge of the computer and making sure that uh, the files are coming in. Okay. And in certain situations, making sure that the, the, um, the files are being backed up regularly. Um, you know, especially in a a tethered situation where the camera can be particularly finicky or troublesome. Um, really what I'm, what I've kind of found is that the, the real thing to being a, a successful digital tech is just kind of knowing what to do if and when something bad happens. The actual job itself. When everything is going smoothly. Boring. Not terribly difficult or exciting, but unfortunately, sometimes things happen. And because of the nature of those things, you kind of have to know a lot uh, of tricks. And, uh, and on top of that, you kind of have to have the sort of, um, personality or, or whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, the way you carry yourself, uh, to, to, you know, to not freak out and keep things, chill and, 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 you know, handle emergencies in a tactful way. And, uh, fortunately I have a pretty good amount of experience with that stuff. So it works out pretty well for me. Um, so that all said, um, I do have a few friends who are professional videographer, filmmaker type folks, uh, people who make commercials, documentaries, feature films, short uh, short videos, industrials, you know, just all kinds of random stuff. And every once in a while, I'll get a call from one of them, um, you know, with a last minute. It's always, it's always like, hey, what are you doing Monday? You know, it's always like, what are you doing, the, you know, tomorrow, like, or in a day or two? Um, because they're sort of desperate and they just need somebody to to do this one job. Like I've, I've shot, you know, um, Interviews, I've shot like presentations, you know, some guy at a book signing just, they just need to record the event, you know, that kind of stuff, or at a conference, uh, or just, you know, being another camera at a, on a multi-camera, you know, event shoot, that kind of stuff. Um, but more recently, what I have sort of fallen into, um, is a position in the film and video business called, um, DIT, which I don't think it's a really terrific name for it, but you know, DIT stands for Digital Imaging Technician, and it essentially is the same thing. It is essentially uh, digital tech, but instead of f- for a still photographer, it's for video. And the reason why this is sort of significant is because more and more now, uh, especially in the past three or four years, um, as these new higher end uh, cameras have been coming out, more and more people are moving away from film and towards digital video. Um so, um, the, the role that, uh, the digital imaging technician plays is sort of analogous to what, um, the loader, the, you know, the film loader plays. Uh, the person who is on set, who's in charge of making sure that the film gets loaded into the, you know, into the magazine properly. And then when, when a new one comes out, you know, changing it and making sure it gets labeled properly and, you know, what scene, what take and, And all that stuff you know it's it's actually kind of a really important job because if if the film if the film isn't handled properly then all of the work that everybody on set is doing is kind of worthless you know if the film doesn't get handled properly so along those same lines nowadays um with um digital video what's happening is um people are shooting primarily to cards and there's any number of cards different camera companies have their different formats um you know, from Canon, some people actually shoot a lot of, you know, you'd be surprised how much feature work and commercial stuff gets shot on Canon DSLRs, you know, 5Ds and 7Ds just to compact flashcards. That's very popular. Um, but then there are also higher end cameras from Panasonic. They have their own little proprietary format called the P2 card, which is essentially a PCM sized card that has, you know, they come in, you know, 8, 16, 32 gigabyte sizes. Uh, and, My current favorite card format, um, is, is something that I think Sony started and it's called the S by S card, but it's written capital S lowercase X capital S. Uh, and that essentially is an express 34 card sized card. It's essentially like, you know, like, like you would, you know, it's the next, I would consider it the next generation of the P two card and all of Sony's video cameras use it. And interestingly, um, the the newest uh the the new camera the new digital camera from Arri uh a-r-r-i is the name of the company i'm sure you guys have seen it on television credits and stuff like the movie credits um the new Arri digital camera the alexa shoots to uh s by s cards as well so it's a very you know popular standardized format and it's nice and fast and the cards are small and it's all good so anyway with the what the dit's job is essentially is when when the uh when the card gets full, uh, somebody runs the card over to the DIT. The DIT is then responsible for taking the contents of the card off the card, uh, checking it to make sure that the video looks good, and then backing it up. And then in some cases, uh, depending on the level of the production and the, the situation, uh, there might be additional stuff happening where there's some light pre post-production stuff happening like you know uh naming the files in a specific way or sorting them in a specific way or doing um basic color grading you know just you know making applying a certain what they call a lookup table or a lut um where you you know you you make you make an effect on the way the the actual footage looks and then that gets sort of uh prepared to present to the director or the client so that they can actually see you know what the actual camera shot, you know, minutes after it happened, which is kind of cool. So that is, um, that's kind of my new, my newest hat, <laughs> uh, in, in, in the, it's
0: like, the a n- like a
1: Like a non real
0: time tape operator.
1: Uh, I guess so. Um, it's, yeah, you know, you're basically, you're, you're the one in charge of the footage. You know, you're the one in charge of making sure that, that it all gets handled properly.
0: Now you, uh, you were telling me you brought two laptops,
1: yeah, I did. I, I, am still figuring out what kind of workflow makes the most sense. Yep. And, uh, so Can they leave that up to you. Well, it's my responsibility. You yeah. Know? I guess I just figured that there would be standards for that kind of thing. Well, that's just it. There are, but they're all different and everybody, I mean, every, every situation is, is seemingly different. I mean, I guess if you're working with the same crew every time, then yeah, you'll standardize on something. But it's from what I'm gathering and from what I'm seeing over, you know, gig after gig, it's always just a little bit different. You know, the, the cameras are always a little different. The directors are always a little different. Sometimes it's a one camera shoot. Sometimes it's a three camera shoot. Sometimes you're moving around and sometimes it's all just locked down on one in one area. I mean, sometimes the client is on set. Sometimes there are 40 people all in the room. Sometimes there's six people in the room. You know, it right. really, it really, there's no kind of, for me anyway, as a, I guess as a freelancer, there's just, there's no, there's no, um, whatever you want to call it. There's no standard, right. Okay. <laughs> so it all boils down to what, what makes the most sense to get the job done as quickly and as efficiently and, and cleanly as possible. So, um, I brought two machines to the job yesterday, um, thinking that, uh, because there were going to be two, ca- two cameras happening, I could, I could basically have, um, both machines set up identically and then do, one for one camera and one for the other camera, and then using uh, Ethernet, I would basically synchronize the drives th- that would essentially make them backups of one another. And that's sort of standard operating procedure. There's almost always at least two drives that the the client, you know, that the, that the production provides you uh, to, to back the stuff up. You know, so that's No, you have uh, both of your laptops you were using have card slots. They do, okay. but um, we were shooting yesterday. We were shooting to five Ds, so it was okay. all compact flash. So I brought, I have two, you know, compact flash card readers. So I basically set my little my my little workstation up, you know, with my I I you know I, I had two of everything. I basically brought two tripods, two laptop plates, set up the two laptops next to each other, plug them both into the wall, plug them into each other with uh with a just with a regular Ethernet cable, and then. They gave me some of those Lassie, you know, the little orange Lassie rugged yep. tip on one terabyte drives, uh, plug those in via Firewire and then daisy chain the, uh, the compact flash card readers off of those. And then I basically set up, uh, Chronosync routine on one of the machines to every 10 minutes just pull the other drive and whatever wasn't there, make it happen. Right. Uh, and then those were staggered five minutes. So machine A would go every five, you know, so essentially every five minutes, one machine was checking the other. And uh, for the most part, that worked out just fine. Um, what was the hang-ups? The hang-up, the only real, fr- any kind of frustrating issue was the fact that the client wound up asking me to start transcoding the footage. Um, to which, what? Just to ProRes, to, Pro, you know, to something sure. real you know, uncompressed and easily editable in Final Cut Pro. So Apple has this, this codec called ProRes, and it's a fine-looking codec. It basically takes... You know, it's this giant uncompressed video format that looks pretty good and, and Final Cut Pro loves it. You know, it can do all of its edits and fades and all that stuff in real time and it makes, uh, makes editing a lot smoother. But, uh, <clears throat> converting files to that format takes some time.
0: Especially and, on laptops that are three years old.
1: Exactly. Especially on laptops and especially with, you know, slower hard, you know, not slower, but, you know, Firewire hard drives. And, uh. Um, do you think it
0: was the hard drives or the CPUs that were slowing it down? That the bottleneck.
1: I, I, th- I can't really tell you because honestly, well, here's what happened. So I I got about maybe 25 percent of it of it done on set, mm-hmm. and I tell them, like, well, you know, here's what we got, uh, and they're like, "Is there any way that you can get the rest of this stuff done um, tonight, and we can pick it up later or, or first thing in the morning?" And I'm like, "Well, I I guess," um, and, but and I couldn't give them a, a good estimate of how long it was going to take. I'm like, I, you know, I, it, it could take hours, you know, and they're like, well, we just, it would, it would be a really huge help if you could get as much of it done as you can. I'm like, all right, sure.
0: Here's a good use of your giant eight core machine at home.
1: You would think. So I brought the, I brought the stuff home and, and I plugged it in and I used um, uh, one of the more popular tools. It's this, is this program called MPEG stream clip. It's a free one. Um, and oddly enough, I guess the software, the guys who wrote it, didn't really optimize it for multi-core processing, and it it, it just—it really—it was taking about as long as it was on the laptop. Is there an Apple tool to do this? I think—I mean, Compressor can do it too. But here's the thing: I'd already gotten almost—you know—a lot, a significant amount of footage done with that on set, and I didn't feel comfortable changing mid, you know, mid process. Yeah. So I, I felt like it was smartest and more, you know, better to be more consistent and, and, and just get it all done. Um, but unfortunately, um, uh, 1030 rolled around, you know, it was already three, four hours later after the shooter wrapped. And the, the producer who was going to pick up the drive, she wanted to get it that night. And I'm like, look, it's, it's, it's barely three quarters done. It's not even, you know, it's, it's like two thirds of the way through. Uh, there's still a bunch left over. And she's like, look, anything that that's, that's four hours that you just saved, my guys from having to do it. And I'm like, okay, you know, whatever you want. Um, so, I'm definitely going to start researching. You know, best there's got to be better ways to do this. Yeah, yeah. There have to be better ways to do it. Um, so, what, yeah, what's really kind of fun and exciting for me is that this, you know, this is a really interesting set of problems to solve, and the fact that it's kind of different every time um, keeps it interesting. And uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, to, to 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 making the most of this because I have a feeling this is a really good gig for me based on my interests and, and skills
0: you know what I, I find interesting about the video world mm. is that it seems like the workflows and best practices that these people you'd think would be really set in stone by now video mm-hmm. people tend to be all over the place when it comes to this kind of stuff mm. well it, i just it, in my experience it, like everyone i talk to has different ways of doing everything and it's like really there's no
1: well, dude,
0: it's I'm surprised same. that things haven't been standardized by now. It's the same in photo. And, and a lot of them don't actually... A lot of people I meet in the video world, and it's true in the photo world too, Like, don't really understand a lot of the
1: technical stuff, perhaps the way they should. You well, know? that's happening more and more everywhere, man. It's yeah. Not, it's not just in photo. I mean, you, you see that in music. Right. You see that in... you know.
0: Well, it's just kind of funny finance. that you... Like, for example, I feel like if I walked in and was doing the job you do that, that you did yesterday... Mm-hmm. Um, you do it completely differently. I, I would probably do it completely differently, but I would also probably just walking in the door know as much as most, like most of the knowledgeable people in the room, even though I don't even do that stuff just because I'm interested in that stuff and I kind of keep up on it. You know well, what I mean? And,
1: yeah. And you could do it again more. What, what what would make you more prone to success has less to do with, with, with that and more to do with the fact that you have a very well-honed set of troubleshooting skills, which right is really what makes or breaks it. That's the long and the short of it. Because um, I, yeah. I mean, anybody there can
0: s- copy files. Yeah. It's what happens when the files don't
1: copy or the files aren't where they're supposed to be, or not looking the way they're supposed to look. Exactly, or or whatever. Yep, true. Good so point. that's I, and that's really what they're paying for. That's 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 what you're that's what you're bringing to the table. Yeah. Um, and as far as what people know, I mean, some of these guys, some of these um crew you know camera guys and and the cinematographer guys they're really sharp man they know tons of stuff that yeah. i that would take anyone you know years of experience just to learn yep. like from even the, they even have their own crazy lang language and lingo for for you know for calling stuff which i'm just just yeah. fascinating so it's a really yeah. interesting little world uh
0: yeah no it sounds sounds kind of crazy
1: yeah so so yeah i guess what seems to be happening now between the work that I'm doing, um, as a DIT and the work that I've been doing with, um, with Mario, the photographer that I've been slowly but surely getting up to speed with that. I mean, fortunately for me, uh, he's moving towards video as well. Um, Right. He, his, his workload used to be, I guess, 75% stills, 25% motion. Mm -hmm. And that has flipped and it, and it, and stills are getting fewer and fewer far between. Um, Although his
0: his motion is still stills,
1: uh, sometimes yeah. um, uh, when when we do the stop motion stuff, it's yeah. technically collecting a, a folder full of stills yeah. and then compiling them to movies. Um, but the the phantom, uh, the slow motion, sure. you know, the high speed video camera, that's that's still full on video, you know. Yeah. And I'm I'm really psyched that I can put that on my list of things I know how to do, because um, that uh, that's a that's a neat that's a neat trick.
0: There's an interesting article, I was looking somewhere, that some guy was talking about as these video cameras get better and better, and we get all these 4K cameras, like the RED and the ARIA, uh, that the need for still cameras, you can just go in and grab frames from video as opposed to shooting stills. Mm. Um, Now, of course, there's all kinds of... uh, Sort of not moral issues, but like creative issues in this, and then you get to the point where it's like, okay, I have fourteen thousand frames. How do I go through and choose the one that you know what I mean? You get in those kinds of things. But one of the technical issues the guy said was that almost every is is about getting the frame rate high enough, not the frame rate, the uh, shutter speed high enough.
1: Yeah, that's it.
0: Because uh, in most of these, most video they It looks like the frames are tight and sharp, but most of the time there's a significant amount of motion blur
1: yeah well, think yeah. about it man twenty four frames thirty frames per second right. is not a lot, no, you know no. Uh, But it could be
0: that the shutter speed is a lot higher than one thirtieth of a second. It's just that, you know, they just, you know, they're cutting up slices tighter, but most of the time it's people moving and stuff. And that there's, there's enough motion where if you're just looking at it as video, you don't really notice, but if you had it as a still printed out at a much higher resolution, that's when you start seeing the weaknesses. Now
1: there's a guy named Alan Trumbull, I think is his name. And he is most well known for his uh, work in the early pioneering days of special effects i think he worked on 2001 um and some of the other you know epic sci-fi classics um and he's still around he's an older guy now obviously but i remember watching an interview uh with him not too long ago and he has been, he's talking about this this trying to push the envelope of recording and and projecting um motion pictures and his whole thing now is 60 frames per second sure he's what he's what he's trying to do is develop the standard and he's saying it's a lot easier with digital because you know it's just flipping switches essentially it's not it's not like you have to reinvent the wheel yeah um and in his in his tests um he's seeing tremendous results um with you know, shooting at 60 frames and projecting at 60 frames, and, you know, all kinds of. I, I would love to be able to it's see it uh, in a the theater.
0: Douglas Trumbull, I think, is the oh, guy. Douglas Trumbull, there you go.
1: um
0: Yeah, you no, know, you're right. But the, I mean, isn't this the problem, though, that Peter Jackson is having with The Hobbit that people don't like the way that 60 frames looks? I don't
1: know.
0: There was I a. He showed, apparently, he's shooting at 60 frames, and he showed some of the footage to people, uh-huh. and all these people were kind of like walked out saying it looked like uh, a cheap TV movie.
1: Interesting. Well, I, I guess there, there, there has to be, um, a specific way of grading it, of finishing yep. it, you know? Um, I've, I've seen, I mean, uh, the, the recent example that pops into my head is this, uh, film that HBO produced. The one, uh, what was it called? Game Changer, I think. Okay. The, the one about Sarah Palin.
0: Uh, I didn't watch it, but okay.
1: Well, now this might have just been, the specific file that I was watching on the specific display that I was watching. Yeah. But I was immediately like taken by how poorly graded this film was. Uh, when I say grading, by the way, uh, just, just to put it clear, it's essentially the industry term for color correcting and you know, um, finishing. It, it's sort of like once the film has been edited, once the, all of the cuts have been made and all of the sound has been dropped and everything is, you know, everything has been pasted. You know, together, all of it, you know, uh, feels good as far as the timing is concerned. The last thing that happens is uh, a guy with a really f- fancy rig, you know, um, essentially like a motion based version of Photoshop um, goes through the entire film and makes sure that all of the colors and the overall feel of the video Looks good. It's sort of like when you, when you do processing in Lightroom or in Capture One, when you're, when you're going through your image and, you know, you're, you're just tweaking the levels a little bit. You're tweaking the colors a little bit. You know, you're making sure the, hi- the highlights and the shadows look good. And then when you're done with that, making sure that it has the overall cast that you're looking for. Like if you want to make it look like film or if you want to make it look black and white or if you want to, you know, you kind of give it a, a brighter look or a darker look, that's what grading is essentially. Or, and, or
0: the, uh, the cyan and orange look that a lot of the action films get.
1: Sure, sure, or you know, or the
0: green that the Matrix had.
1: Yeah, or, or if you know, or if like uh, another classic example would be uh,
0: Minority Report. Sure, had a very well. That was the that was that bleach bypass look. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, that was that that kind of stuff was done at the at the grading yeah. stage.
0: And the, the reason why they call it grading, it has to do with more the way they used to do it in the old actual film days because it was a chemical process they had to run right. the stuff through.
1: Absolutely. Um, yeah, that, that was a dude's job. Like there, there were people on on, on crews who were basically color consultants who knew how to treat the film, depending on the circumstances. It kind of feels,
0: you know, that kind of feels the way that back in the film days, a lot of photographers would trust certain lab techs to be there. Oh my God. Absolutely. And, and, but there was a certain amount of, I hand it to this guy and he goes in the back room and does magic with it. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Which I think some of, some of the digital stuff in both video and film, uh, it has has video and stills has become much less like that. Magic is sort of getting a light shined on it because it's software that almost anybody could get now, you yeah. know, but and I'm not saying time, that people aren't good, good at it. Yeah, I'm just saying that the the tools are more obvious. Um, yeah. Gratings ex- is a whole other thing. So this so movie was it, terrible.
1: It's just, when you looked at it, I'm like, what kind of camera were they shooting on? And what the hell happened in the post-production process? Because it looked you know how the the easiest way to make the example for for folks who aren't as familiar with this stuff would be when you tune in to a live television broadcast be it a baseball game or a news show or a soap opera not not that soap operas are shot uh, are live but those are are what i would call high definition video that is 100% bona fide, very video looking you know um Filming, whatever you want to call it, recording, right? Yep. they're very crisp. Um, it has a sort a very specific look to it. Um, and what's interesting is you can actually, again, through some creative grading process, you can actually smooth that stuff out and make it look less like TV and more like film. Um, and that's that that's really what what the the magic trick behind these high-end cinema cameras like the Ari and the red and all those other things, those cameras make that job possible and a lot easier because in the old days, you know, that's, that's why, you know, it took so long for um, Hollywood to, you know, to acknowledge and accept using video cameras to shoot films because it didn't look good. You know, film was more forgiving. Film was more flexible. Film was more artsy. And now finally, here we are, with, with this, these high end cameras and these really terrific sensors and these really great tools that we can, you know, we can replicate that look and feel of film. So I was really surprised. I watched the movie the entire way through and usually with a, with a, you know, Hollywood production that they'll put at the very end, if you stick around for the very end of the credits, they usually pop up a few logos and that lets you know what kind of um, hardware and software and, you know, whatever other bits that they used in the film, you know, like Kodak film or Fuji film or Panavision lenses or, you know, whatever. Sure. Um, and I was really surprised that this was shot on an Ari Alexa. Um, which is this amazing high-end video camera. And we, you've seen movies, I uh, probably like, because the, the, the Alexas have been in use now for two, 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 three years now. Maybe not three, but at least two years. Um, and, and, you know, the past, five or six major Hollywood blockbusters have all been shot on it. Tons of stuff gets shot on it. It's, it's a very popular camera right now. So you've definitely seen stuff that has been shot with it and it did not look this, this bad. And I was just really surprised, um, at, you know, and it just sort of speaks volumes to, to like, you know, how important that process, that part of the process is.
0: And just, yeah, that well, it also speaks to the fact that the tool doesn't make things look good. No, it's so the people are using the tool that to make things look
1: good. Oh, it's totally, totally right? true. Um,
0: there's a wedding photographer um who's a sort of a friend of mine um uh, who just took a picture with um with one of those D800s and uh, he put it up on he put a, a version of it up on facebook or something like that and i i just i just sent it out uh, I forwarded his tweet cause it looks pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of those things where it's like, okay, yeah, it looks great at a thousand pixels tall, but like, let's zoom in at a hundred percent. I want to see it at a hundred percent, you know, mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. shooting in low light. So, but it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, yeah, the, the camera's great. The Ari Alexa is great. Obviously people shoot, people have shot really beautiful stuff with a 5d Mark II. You sure. Know? Uh, I mean video, um, lots of TV shows that look really great. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that has to do with lighting too. Oh my God. You know? Lighting is
1: insane when it comes to film and motion picture stuff. Yeah,
0: but I mean, but it really comes down to like, you get the lighting right and you could shoot it with your iPhone and it would look pretty
1: good. And Um, and that, that let's touch on that for one quick second. That kind of plays into the difference. or One of the biggest differences between, um, stills and motion as far as like when you're, you're talking about being able to grab a frame out of, out of, uh, out of a, you know, out of a video feed. Um, one of the biggest differences is that all all film and video stuff is shot with continuous light, yep. with hot lights, and that I don't care what you say, man. That there is a definite, noticeable difference between the kind of light that you get with continuous lighting versus strobe lighting. Uh, you can get them very, very close together, and you know, and in some cases, depending on the the, the situation, you can make them look very, very simple, like you know, like almost indistinguishable, but. There has, there's, there's something special about really short durations. Like, like when you pop that light and it's only on for, you know, a couple thousandths of a second. Yeah. Uh, there's, it's just something about the way it looks, you know? Uh, I, and the other thing that's interesting to me is, is the way, um, and then this is, I guess, more, uh, specific to people, but the way people behave, when they're under lights like when you have a bunch of lights you can feel the heat and the brightness and all that stuff from the lights on you all the time versus when you can see the lights and they're not on and they just pop and you know you know what i'm saying there's there's a difference uh in the way that that uh that affects you and i and i i have a feeling that 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 i don't know that factors in in some way i was
0: taking some pictures of a friend of mine she did some headshots yesterday Uh uh-huh and uh it was funny because I didn't even, I didn't even, I kept all of the modeling lights off. Okay. You know, cause I sure. didn't really need them. The room was fine. Yeah. Um, but it's just kind of funny when you don't have the modeling lights off, it just feels like you're in a room and then the the flashes are popping. Right. And the results on the camera are so completely different than what you're seeing through the, through the, uh, viewfinder. Yeah. Um, that's just kind of funny sometimes how, right. how different things look. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a weird, weird thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Video. (sighs) The whole the whole uh, color grading thing. I mean, a lot of I was talking to somebody at my uh, workshop last week. I just was bringing up that sort of theory I have that if you're not doing post production to your pictures, it's very difficult to make your pictures look different from anybody else who uses your camera.
1: Absolutely. In fact, I, I mean, and it's getting,
0: it's getting more important nowadays with digital than it was with film in some ways because film, by definition, by the fact that you were using film, you were choosing different films and different processing and different whatever yeah. and different kinds of prints so that your stuff kind of like looked different, sort of more organically just because of the things you happen to choose and the place oh, wait, you happen dude, to ten, get stuff processed.
1: Ten years ago, there were dozens, literally dozens of kinds of film yep. out there to choose. Yeah. So um,
0: nowadays, it's like you you have a 5D Mark II and I have a 5D Mark II and we're using the same lens. We're taking the same pictures with natural light. They're going to look the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to do something to them to give them some character. And people tend to look at, say, my pictures where I do a fair amount of post-processing and they say, oh, you know, that looks like one of your pictures. And, and it's funny. I was looking at a picture last week of somebody who's using of a picture I took and and just for half a second, when I saw it, I forgot that I had taken it because it was a few, a couple of years ago.
1: And you're like, oh, that's one of my shots. Yeah, that looks, yeah, something I would that looks like <laughs> something I would shoot. Yeah, and, well, and I mean, it was, and, and so, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, if I were to hand you my D three, or right. we were to go to the store and pick up or rent any medium format digital camera, and I would, and you know, and you and I would go shoot some stuff, your post processing approach would be the same, and yeah. you would be able to make those pictures come out of any of those cameras look like your picture. Right. Because that's the way you work. And that, right. and that, that I mean, I you know, it's sort of funny to just put it that way because it's just so damn common sense, but it's amazing how many people, um, I don't know, don't, don't go that extra mile, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. it's gotten to the point where you can actually, I don't know about you, but I can, I, I feel like I've developed a pretty good sense of the base characteristics of most of the main you know major high end cameras out there like you know like the high end nikons and the high end canons to the extent where if i'm looking at raw fi- you know very minimally retouched or post processed uh raw files just out of the camera i can some more than more often than not guess what kind of camera was shot yeah. with uh with that um and it you know you go onto you know websites like flickr or other you know picture sharing sites where people who are using higher end cameras share their stuff um, and it's amazing how how little work gets done in some cases. It really baffles me.
0: No, absolutely. And, you know, it's, uh, it's funny because as time has gone on, I've done my best to uh, minimize the character of the camera. Uh, there, there's a guy who wrote a blog post, I'll put in the show notes, um, mm-hmm. where he actually shot with, uh, I don't know, if, if you go into Lightroom, mm-hmm. in the library, or actually in the develop module down the bottom, there's a camera calibration uh, panel and you can actually choose either the Adobe standard or uh, they have like camera standard camera landscape and those are sort of uh, camera profiles that are trying to mimic the looks that are built into the camera. you know you can change like the the standard looks sure. um, this, this guy actually took the standard profile shot some pictures of test charts and actually figured out what the settings should be in the whole, uh, hue, saturation and luminosity panel uh-huh. in, in Lightroom to basically even out the biases of the sensor. Hmm. So basically he's making the 5d Mark three sensor a lot more flat. Nice. Um, yeah. And so I've done that and I've actually made it my, um, my default. So when new stuff gets loaded in, all that stuff automatically happens to it. I cool. want to start with a clean slate. I want to start with as as neutral something as I can work with, you know? Sure. Which is why a lot of, man, a lot of video stuff, when you look at coming out of the camera, it looks really boring. You know, they, they, oh, yeah. sh- they shoot those things like super low contrast, super flat, because they know they can always bump that stuff up later.
1: Right. And um, in, in, in Hollywood, like with motion picture film, you have tons of leeway, yeah. uh, you know, so you shoot it right in the middle and you can really pull out, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's like the, it's like the most amazing raw file you've ever yeah. worked with. You yeah. know, there's tons of, of room to yeah. push and pull, especially
0: with big, big film. Mm-hmm. Um, like, so yeah. in, in much the same way I, I was doing this and I'll put the link in there. Cause I think it's kind of interesting. The idea that you're sort of taking those characteristics that you were talking about, taking them out of the camera as much as possible. Uh, mm-hmm. Take them out of the files like one of the things people complain about on Canon is that red stuff gets sort of oversaturated and blown out mm-hmm. um, and this guy basically has found that if you pull back uh, the the a lot of the red like the saturation uh in in the or actually the greens and stuff the saturation of the red's like a minus fifteen like a lot pulling it mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. and moving the hue up a little bit and that kind of stuff you can actually what looks like it 's just blown out mushed red stuff there's actually information in there. You just got to pull back the saturation a little bit to, to make it show up so that you actually get more out of the files by doing this sort of calibration than you would otherwise. It's interesting. And, uh, and it's, it's sort of the same kind of thing. So you end up almost color grading all of your pictures, uh, manually after the fact, but like getting it back to like a base level to start with is like step one, Mm. you know, uh, it's, it's just cool stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, Asus and a couple companies put out PC motherboards with Thunderbolt on them, they've that's announced this week. Oh, that's news? Well, they, they, there was all sort of assumptions that they were going to be coming out with these things, but there mm. hadn't actually been any. Mm. So this is very exciting that there's now uh, these Thunderbolt motherboards. However, they're pretty expensive. They're like $150 more than the equivalent one without
1: Thunderbolt. What, what baffles me is that there still only seems to be one company making thunderbolt cables and it's apple yes and it's like that one six foot you know yeah. cable for well 50 up bucks. until now apple's the only one who needed it <laughs> no nah, but come on i mean how come they can't yeah. is there a licensing issue or something there must be some sort of weird proprietary something or other you know because there should be other I mean, like belkin or yeah you know monoprice or anybody like someone else should be able right. to make these damn well
0: cables. i get, you know it's it's they're active cables right there's chips in the ends it's um, true so, there's that. Those are going to be expensive anyway. I know, um, but I
1: would like to have a three-footer or a one-footer or a sure. four What know, is it now? Six feet? Yeah, it's right in the middle.
0: Um, so, and
1: it's white. I'm not, I've never been a fan of those stupid white cables, man. Yeah.
0: Uh, I think that things, as they go forward, will get better. I mean, it's an Intel tech, right? So, it's all about yeah. Intel opening this stuff up. And I yeah. think as PC makers start making... Motherboards and 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 people start putting Thunderbolt into PCs. You're going to see a lot more of a proliferation of devices, just because they're going to, you know, they they need to, you know. Cause. Well,
1: plus it's it's like wicked fast. I mean, it's yes. a pretty cool technology. Yeah. So, I but think I just, mean,
0: the I amount think. of the, the people who need that fast is a pretty small minority.
1: Well, there's another. Fortunately, there's an, another huge benefit to the to the technology other than it being fast, and that is that it's extremely flexible because it's so fast you can uh convert it if you will you can adapt it to multiple protocols simultaneously it can it can do like look at the the you know uh the the apple right. display that can do video yep ethernet yep. firewire usb and i think audio too like yep. all in one connection sure that's, that's kind of awesome no
0: it is awesome it's just whether or not people are going to pay an extra 150 dollars for that kind of awesome well um so it, if it
1: means less ports on the, on the board and you can make it smaller and you can leave off some of these other things to yep. make it cheaper. Then yeah. I think it's worth it.
0: I mean, I think what we'll end up with is something where it's almost all USB ports and maybe a Thunderbolt or two. Um, cause people Possibly. like laptops with USB. Sure. You know, they're not going to get a USB, to thunderbolt adapter that costs a hundred dollars to plug in yeah. their keyboard. That's you know, dumb. Yeah. uh, not going to happen. Uh, and this, this week I, I actually hosed my main Mac, uh, hackintosh, um, your regular machine, yeah, my main machine. What do you mean? Do you uh, mean? I, I so usually when they come out with a new version of an OS, so say ten dot seven dot four update, All right? Uh-huh. Um, usually wait a few days and just oh, see. You,
1: you didn't. I, I for some reason I thought you were talking about hardware when you said motherboard. You, you just made it so that your machine doesn't boot. You yes, broke the OS. Okay. Yes,
0: I, I broke the drive. Okay, uh, or, Yeah, I broke the install. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but usually, what happens is that you wait a few days, and the guys at Tony Mac and all these other places do True. all kinds of tests and they say, "Oh, this replaces these files, so once you install it before you reboot, you got to go replace these files again that kind of right. thing um, and I installed it on mine now here's the thing I've been running mac OS ten for what a y- over a year now since March of last year hmm. um, and ten dot six dot I think I started say ten dot six dot six so then Mm -hmm. 7, 7, 7.1, 7.2. I've had no problems doing these updates. This Mm -hmm. particular update, I reboot, and it just farts. It just stops. (laughs) I get like a big nasty kernel panic. Ouch. Um, But luckily, I use SuperDuper to clone my drives every night. So the only thing that I... See, here's the thing. Yeah, well, here's the thing. I use SuperDuper, and I clone even my SSD boot drive to a sparse image. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is that you can't boot from a sparse image.
1: No, you just res- you're just you supposed to restore back.
0: Right, but that means I need to get back into the machine with another drive in order to fix the sparse image. See oh, what I'm saying?
1: And you don't have that.
0: Well, what I did was I took out the SSD and my backup drive and put them into my new computer, the, the new Ivy Bridge machine that I'm waiting f- to get full compatibility. Mm-hmm. And I booted that up, and I did the whole thing, and I got it working after, like, you know, an hour. That's good. But one of the interesting things was is that I used one of those hard drive docks that you and I were talking about last week. Oh, yeah, I've been looking at those. Right. Which one? The newer tech one? Um, I was actually... I most I think my, both of mine are the Rosewill ones, the, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Newegg brand. Yeah, they get from Newegg. Yeah. sure. Here's the problem. As far as I can figure out, and I don't know if it's a macOS issue or if it's a drive issue, huh? it won't... Fu- is bootable? It, it, no, it won't uh, uh, mount a three-terabyte drive.
1: Oh, that's probably a weird chippy firmware thing on the in the in the uh, the dock itself. I would guess.
0: Yeah, but the thing is, is that the the USB three dock that I got last week is like brand new, right? They just came out. Oh, and that doesn't do it either. That doesn't do it either. So I thought. So I took my backup drive out and I used the uh, the dock to plug it into my MacBook Air Mm -hmm. to try to like get this image off there to put on the other one. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, this will be perfect. It'll just you know take a little while, but it'll work. Mm. And it goes. This disk is not initialized. Would you like to? And I'm like, wait a minute. This is my backup drive. You're talking about, and you're telling me that it's barfed, you know. Mm-mm. Um, and I, and then I plugged it into the big Ivy Bridge machine, same way, same thing. And I'm like, oh shoot, you but know. Then you plug
1: it into the Logic Board, or but the then I plugged
0: it right into a SATA connection, and it, it was fine. So it's 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 a weird little hangup. Um, and I don't know if some of the other ones, perhaps more th- some of the more expensive ones, do do the three terabyte thing. So anyway, well, think, just yeah, something three, to four think about.
1: Terabyte thing is new-ish. Yeah,
0: know? but they've been around for at least a year. No drives. Yeah. Really? Oh yeah. A year? Oh, at least a year. Huh. Four terabyte drives have been out for like six months. Really? Um, I've, I've only just
1: started seeing them for sale recently. Yeah, yeah. like at least like again, six months. Really, it. It's funny now. Now that I'm getting into this DIT thing, I've been much more. Um, what's the word? sensitive and aware of like storage hard, hard. Well, just storage in general, you know, hard drive. I, I've been looking into yeah. ESATA stuff and thunderbolt stuff and USB three stuff yeah. and PC express cards. And yeah, you know, Western digital ships their
0: first internal three terabyte drive in
1: 2010.
0: Huh? So almost think. a year and a half. Gotcha. Um, so anyway, it's just it's interesting stuff, and it's just something that I, I found that you may need to know about. I also, I bought, while the hard drive prices, remember when the whole uh, thing happened in Thailand, the flooding? I do. And it screwed up all the hard drive prices. Mm-hmm. I bought, while things were still going up, a 7,200 RPM, 3 terabyte drive, just in case like the, dr- the prices were crazy for the next year. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure I kind of got in while the getting was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I decided to open it up and use it in my new machine. And I put it in my new machine. Now, all of my other drives, I have uh SSDs and I also have, I use the slower 5,400 RPM drives. Right. And everything, my machines are really quiet. <laughs> I put this 7,200 RPM drive in, and I can instantly hear it over everything else in my computer. Ugh, I hate and that. I know, but here's the thing. You'd think that, I remember the old days, hard drives used to be loud, and 7,200 oh, yeah. RPM drives used to be loud. Totally. I figured by now, this would be less of an issue, but apparently, they're still loud. Mm. Um, to the point where it's like, I want to take it out and use my old slow one again. You know? <laughs> wow. Um, like John Syracuse over here. I just, I it's like the the noise of, you no, know, I, like I know. it. Oh man, it, that drives me nuts. The noise
1: that gets me is is like that weird sort of like it's almost like a metallic grinding rubbing noise. You know, it's uh, the old hard drives. Yeah, you know.
0: So it's a brand it's, new hard, hard and drive, and it's it's like and it's
1: audible. And I was I'm actually kind of
0: surprised that they're still audible. You know, it's not like it's twice the speed. It's only, you know, 15% no, faster. Still, it's still,
1: you know, something spinning, man. There's still yeah. movement happening. I mean, I, what I have, what I've been impressed with is how quiet the little two and a half inch drives have gotten. Man, those things oh, are Oh, those really got scary quiet. Yeah, yeah. Those are nice. You I, don't hear I them actually at all. did some looking. There's a small part of me that's considering getting, there's, unfortunately, these aren't as common. Um, so I'm not as confident, but there are a few companies out there that make, um, raid enclosures four, two and a half inch drives. Yeah, And I, I kind of, there's something appealing to me about having, you know, a five, four or five drive, two and a half inch drive RAID, you know, because they're small, fast and
0: quiet. True. What does the total uh, throughput end up being though? Because I mean, so let's say the little drives are usually like 60 or 70% the speed of the big drives. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Well, um, you, you can do like a RAID zero or like a RAID
1: five. Yeah, we do a RAID five. Interesting, um, but then you know, there's also uh, a lot of drives out there. I know uh, both, you know, the two what I would call the the main, the most common um, Macintosh hard drive vendors, uh, GTEch and LaCie, both uh, have double drive, you know, products like you know RAID zero or RAID one. I think I, I think some of them don't don't even give you a choice. I think you just you know you get them either striped or mirrored. Yeah. Um but some of the nicer ones have a switch on the back where you can you know determine what you want. Um, just determine that before you start using it. Yeah. Uh, best best practice. <laughs> um but uh yeah some of some of those um and you know there's a part of me that, that would consider that. I, you know it's like part of me wants to do you know uh, get just like an enclosure so that I can just shove drives in there whenever I want. The problem with this with with this situation is that and, and, and this will, I'll, as I do this more, I'll get, obviously I'll get more data and have more, um, you know, basis to, to make the, the, the decision. But right now, the problem I'm seeing is that I technically don't have, any real control over the drives that I'm actually going to be handed or working with because I am reliant on the client to provide me with drives. And, and I guess depending, I mean, I'm sure what some guys do is they bring their own drives and they just sell them. They'll just say, look here, you know, you, they'll, they'll build into their fee, you know, a couple hundred bucks for some drives and then they literally just give them away and then that's done. And I, I wouldn't be opposed to doing that. Right. Um, because it's not like they wouldn't need to buy the drives anyway. Right. Why not? Why not just get me? Let me get it. Get me. You know, I'll get the stuff that I want, and I know will work good. And go. And you that. can, you know. And then I'll make sure the price twenty percent. Well, not even. I mean, it's. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be doing it for for money. You know, t- to, make, to right. make money off of it. I would be doing it because I would want the stuff to go as fast as possible. Right. Like right now, the 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 bridge I'm I'm really looking to cross is the East Ada Bridge, so to speak. Um, sure. Because there's tons of really cool eSATA options out there, but I have yet to encounter, like I have yet to have been handed a drive that has eSATA on it. (laughs) Um, The best is FireWire 800 and the worst is those little, you know, Western digital USB only, you know, little pocket drives that are super slow and annoying. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Like I said, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it, Um, but uh, it's an interesting thing to think about.
0: No, it is. Uh, and I, when I get USB 3 running and I want to see how fast it is. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean it, like, it's theoretically five gigabits, which is faster than a SATA connection. So a drive or two should be fine on it. You know, you should be able yeah, to get a I'm, few hundred megs a second on it.
1: I'm seriously, I think my next purchase, I think what I'm going to do is get that Sonnet USB 3. Yeah. PC Express, um, PC, you know, 34, whatever Turkey. card. And, this I think Sandisk or Lex, I can't remember. One of the two guys makes a nice combo card reader that's USB 3. And I'm going to buy, you know, we're talking about like a hundred bucks here. Sure. So I'll buy those through Amazon with the, uh, Circuitous Conversations, uh, affiliate link. Sure. <laughs> found at circuitous.tv. Uh, I'll buy those and, um, give that a run and see how it behaves. And, That'd be handy. Yeah. Uh, cause, cause now, I mean, what I have seen more and more, I, I've, I've also, the last two jobs, I've been handed USB 3 drives, which fortunately dumbed down to USB 2. Which right. Kind of nice. But you're wasting um, the potential. But it'll be kind of nice, you know, to, to be able to use the full on USB 3. If
0: sure. You yeah. So. Hey, um, something before we wrap up here. I am doing a little bit of a uh, collaboration with Mr. Zay Frank. I know that guy. Yeah, so if you guys don't know who Zay Frank is, uh, you He's an can Internet go to, Rock Star. He is a bit of an internet rock star, yeah. Uh, so Zay is a guy who uh is fantastic, and if you haven't watched anything at zayfrank.com you should. Uh what he did name
1: a, Zay. I that? think his
0: real name is something different. His real name is uh-huh. let's see. Doo do 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 born Hosiah Jan Frank. Oh. So I think the Zay is the, from like Hosea. Josiah or something? Yeah, Hosea though. Anyway, oh. uh, Zay's a super sweet guy. And if you go and watch some of his, the the show by Zay Frank. I
1: thought it was a show.
0: We, well, the original was the show with Zay right. Frank back in 2007, right. uh, where he actually made, uh, he was making things, I think daily, for think it was yeah, Monday one, through Friday. Monday. Yeah. Um, where he's making these little videos where he talked to things and he would write songs and do all this kind of stuff. And it was fantastic and it was a big deal. Um, and th- one of the reasons why my project 365 portraits blew up in 2007 was because Zay linked to me in mm. like March of that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I got a lot of fans from him and I ended up shooting him for the project, uh, a picture of which he still uses for almost everything <laughs> that he uses the yeah, picture for.
1: That mile, that picture's seen a lot of miles. Yeah, for sure.
0: which is great. Um, and so we went back and forth cause he came up, uh, with an idea to do another year of stuff and he, uh, got a lot of money from a Kickstarter campaign mm-hmm. and, uh, he wanted to do some collaboration and I said, yeah, absolutely. So we decided to start giving people assignments to do, um, uh, photo assignments to do and that I would announce these and then I would judge them
1: mm-hmm. and,
0: uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. So Have you we got any
1: submissions yet?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's a hundred submissions or something <laughs> on, on the site. So if you go to a show a s h o w dot frank dot com mm-hmm. and watch this week's episode, if you watch it soon, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is called current events.
1: Well, he does like two or three weeks. It's yeah, like he does. He weeks. does a few. Right. It's one of the mo- so now it's like one of the one well, the most recent one. Yes. or the one before yeah. that. Right.
0: Um, you will see me, I guess the, the, the job that we gave people, the assignment was to find somebody you love, uh, hold a camera up, get it ready to go, say, I love you. And then take a picture to show their reaction. The moment they react, mm-hmm. that was the fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, we've got a bunch of submissions and we're, uh, they just said, uh, sent me an email saying that he liked the way it was going. So we're going to do more. Mm. Um, so it's going to be fun. Yeet. So Zay is there. He's a good guy.
1: Sweet. We should have him on the show.
0: Yes, he's a very busy man, but I'm going to see what I can do. Um, and that's about it. Sweetie. Anything else before we wrap up?
1: Uh, no, I'm tired. <laughs> All right, go <laughs> take, a, take nap. a nap. I think I'm going to take a nap. That's smart. Yeah. Yesterday was like a 20-hour day.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's exhausting. It was a long day. Yeah. Well, go take <laughs> and, a
1: nap. And i had to wake up super early. I sold, a, I sold um, my old White Lightning Ultra 1200. How much? Well, I, I gave it a. I gave it a guy. Gave the guy a deal. Uh, okay. I sold that old light and a couple of stands and umbrellas for. I probably could have gotten about one fifty, maybe one seventy five for it on eBay. Yeah. Um, but I'm just so sick of these like cheap, like half plastic, half metal light stands that I've had for a while. And sure. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to take. So I'm going to take that three hundred bucks uh, and buy some nice new metal stands. Maybe even get like a pair of C stands or something like that. Okay. Who knows? Who knows? Sounds like we'll a plan? See. Yes, sir. Uh,
0: excellent. Uh, so if you want to get a hold of us if you have any questions, you can find us at circuitous.tv is the website. CircuitousConversations at gmail.com is the yep. email address. Yep. And uh, we're also on the Twitters at Bill Wadman and at Dan Gottesman.
1: That's right. Uh, so uh, we will talk.